All right, tonight we will be in Luke chapter 15. We will be studying the parable of the lost son. Most of us who have known Christ for a short period of time know this story. My prayer is after tonight that we would see this parable in a different light than we did before we study tonight. Because there is more to the story than the lost son being saved from his path of destruction. We're going to go ahead and start in verse 11. A little bit of background before we start in, on this section of scripture. Jesus is sharing different parables with the Pharisees and the scribes because at the beginning of the chapter we see where he was talking and tax collectors and sinners were drawn close to hear what Jesus had to say to them because they really wanted to hear what he had to say. But the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining that they were coming to Jesus to find out what Jesus had to offer because Jesus was the, is the way, the truth, and the life. And the Pharisees and the scribes didn't like the fact sinners were encroaching on their territory, basically. Jesus is nobody's territory, but the scribes and the Pharisees, as the religious leaders of the church, they saw Jesus as a threat to their way of life. In verse 2 of chapter 15, they say to Jesus, this man receives sinners and eats with them, referring to Jesus. They were saying he had no right, Jesus had no right to be around the tax collectors or sinners. And before the lost son parable that we're going to study tonight, there was two other parables that he shared to the Pharisees and the scribes. The first one was about a lost sheep that the shepherd left, had a hundred sheep. He had one stray away and he left the 99 to go find the one and bring the one back to the fold. And then the second parable was about a lost coin. A lady had 10 coins and she'd lost one of the coins and she tore her house upside and down and searching high and low for that coin until she found it and then she rejoiced. They both rejoiced when they found what they had lost. So let us go ahead and pick up in verse 11. Then he said, then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided to him his livelihood. The man had two sons. He had an older son and a younger son. The younger son walked up to his father one day and said, give me my inheritance now. I want my money. I don't want to wait for you to die. I want you to give me my money. Give it to me now. I'm not content. I'm not happy. I want what I have coming to me now. And if you, back in Jewish law, when there was two sons, the older son would get a double portion due to the Jewish law. So the older son would, have rece would receive two-thirds of the estate. The younger son would receive one-third of the estate. The father could have went to his son and said, no, you're not getting it. You have to wait. You have to be patient. It's mine to do with as I please until I die. But that's not his heart. He was showing his youngest son God's love and his heart because God's love will allow us to rebel and go against what God has planned for us, what God wishes for us, even if it hurts God. The father probably knew the outcome of his son's plans before he even agreed to say yes, but he went ahead and gave his son what he asked for anyway. And God will do the same thing with us at times. Sometimes if we keep asking and keep hounding and keep pleading with God, God, do this. God, I want this. God, I want that. God's saying, it's not what I have for you. It's not my best for you. 
but at times he'll be like, fine, fine, here, I'm going to give you what you want to show you you really didn't want that. And every time we do that, we regret later getting that thing that we wanted. But God will give those things to us so we will turn from the path that we're walking down and turn towards the Lord, turn our hearts back to the Lord. I would say that youngest son was pretty brazen, pretty bold, I would say, to walk up to his father and say, look, I want you dead. I want my possessions now. That's pretty brazen. If I would have been the father, I would have taken the son out back to the woodshed and whooped him a few times. But the father didn't do that. The father said, okay, son, if that's what you truly want, okay, I'm going to give you what you ask for. Even though it pained him, it had to pain him to do that, because I know it pains God to do that with us. And in verse 13, and not many days after, the, the youngest son gathered all together, gathered all of his new possessions together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. We see the son gathering all of his wealth, the third of the possessions of his father, taking them and leaving his family. He went traveling the world in that day. He went far away from his family. His father, his brother, his family, and his life at that time. The youngest son ended up broke. He ended up losing everything. He lived a prodigal life. I don't have to explain what a prodigal life is. Every single one of us knows what a prodigal life is because we've all lived one at one point before coming to Christ. At least most of us have. And for the, the very few that haven't, praise God, and I pray you never will. After becoming broke, a famine broke out in the new land he was in, and the youngest son ended up having to work for a pig farmer. For those that know anything about Jewish law, you know pigs are considered unclean to the Jews, and the, the youngest son more than likely was raised up as a Jewish child and knew the Levitical law, knew the kosher law, and he's working as a pig farmer. He's playing in the trough with the pigs, with the unclean swine, and feeding them while his stomach's rumbling and hungry. And he's shaking his head. This had to be, add insult to injury. I lost everything that I wanted, and now I have to feed these dirty swine. How humbling it had to be to him to end up being a caretaker of pigs. In verse 16, it says the youngest son was hungry, and no one gave him anything. No one fed him, no one brought him water, Nobody did anything for him. 
Was it cruel and unusual punishment for no one to help him, no, for anyone to take him, not take him food or take him anything? I would say no. It's not cruel and unusual punishment. God wanted to use the situation to break the youngest son and bring him into repentance of his sinful ways. If people would have supported him when he was living as a prodigal, he would have stayed a prodigal. By not helping the son, God used this difficult season to bring the youngest son to repentance. And ultimately, that's what God wants. He wants us to repent, and he wants us to follow him wholeheartedly. He doesn't want us running in our prodigal lifestyle and saying we're Christians. Sometimes the best thing we can do to help someone is to not help them in ways we think they need help. You'll hear people say, you're a Christian. You're supposed to give to the poor and needy. You're supposed to help those who have less. Not necessarily. Sometimes by helping someone in need or someone who's down, it's causing them not to come to God. It's not causing them to sit down at God's feet saying, Lord, I need you. I need you to save me. I need you to provide for me because nothing else, you're the only one that can take care of me at this point. Nothing else, nothing else matters. There's nothing else that remains in this world except you. Let's define helping someone. To help someone in a spiritual sense might mean let them go hungry, broke, and take away anything they can lean on so that person can come into a true relationship with Christ. The needs of this earth pale in comparison to a person's spiritual need. Let me repeat that. The needs of this earth, food, shelter, and clothing, pale in comparison to someone's spiritual need for Christ. Because in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us we are worth more than the birds of the air. We are worth more than the beasts in the field. God will provide food, shelter, and clothing for his children. And if we trust in God wholeheartedly, he will take care of us. And sometimes people don't ever get to that point where they're truly broken for Christ. The youngest son, however, remembered how his father treated his hired servants well while he was working for a pig farmer and he was hungry. God broke him. He was broken. God, he left very prideful, very arrogantly, very, oh, I want what I want when I want it. I want to go do it now. Go do it now. Well, he did what he wanted to do. He ended up broken a pig farmer. Make a note, though, when he realized how he treated his father, and how he came to the realization that he made a mistake. He didn't blame his father. He didn't blame his older brother. He didn't blame anyone else for being a pig farmer. He realized it was his fault. He was the reason why he was in the situation he was in. He accepted the blame of his sinful actions and living and he desired to be a servant in his father's home because it would be better than what he was doing now. He was okay with being a servant instead of his son because it would, he knew his father took care of his servants well. He also recognized he sinned against his father. He did not see himself worthy to be called his father's son anymore. The youngest son was brought to a place of humility. 
I pray that we as Christians can learn from this example and be willing to come to God as a humble servant and not be prideful and know-it-all and think that we're better than anything else. I pray that we don't know, we don't act like we know more than God in heaven either. I pray that we are willing to go to our knees and ask God to help us, to ask God to forgive us if there's any unforgiveness that needs to be done. I pray, Lord, that we would just learn from this and not be like the youngest son in that area. I pray that we, when we make mistakes, we would own up to them and have the same repentant heart as the, father's, the youngest son had here and not be afraid to go to our Father in heaven and ask him for forgiveness. In verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The youngest son started on his journey back to his father's house. I honestly believe the younger son was rehearsing his speech to his father on his way back, saying, Father, please forgive me. Please forgive me for sinning against you. Please, I pray that you would forgive me. Make me one of your high servants. I'm not even considered, don't even consider me to be your son anymore. I'm no longer your son. Just treat me like a servant. I am not worthy to be called your son. Don't we always go over and over in our minds those things when we go to speak to someone, especially when it is us asking for forgiveness for wronging them. And it just, miles and miles of walking, head hung down, oh, I pray he will accept my apology. I pray he will accept what I have to say because I have sinned him, I have wronged him. I'm not worthy of a second chance. But that's not the father's heart. As the youngest son got closer to home, his father spotted him from far off. When the father saw him, he dropped what he was doing and ran to his son. He didn't walk. He didn't send a servant. He didn't send the older brother. He didn't send anyone else to meet the youngest son. He went, he girded up his clothes, he dropped what he was doing, and he ran to his son. He ran to his son, embraced his son, kissed his son. Now you tell me, that's not love. He loved his son, even though his son sinned against him. The father still loved him, and he was so glad to have him back in his home. The father in the story is a picture of God. He runs to us when we cry out to him. And when we ask him to forgive us, he is faithful and just to forgive us. 
But God does allow us to do our own thing. He does allow us to go down the paths that we choose to go down. But when we come back to him, he will run to us and meet us where we're at. And, he's, and God still loves us. Just like the father loved the youngest son, he loves, God loves us as well. And if we didn't read this earlier, but back in verse 10 of chapter 15, Jesus will say, Likewise, I say to you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Joy in the angels of God when a sinner repents, when a sinner comes to Christ. The angels rejoice over that. That's mind-blowing to me, that there's a heavenly realm that's rejoicing when someone says yes to Christ and no to the world and gives their heart to Jesus. That's just so awesome. I just can't, I honestly can't fathom that God's love is that deep for us. The father calls for his son to be dressed in his best attire, a ring and sandals on his feet. All these items signify riches in the culture back then. As servants were not given sandals nor rings, especially not the best clothing, servants wore rags and most of the time they went shoeless. Only family of the father would be adorned in such riches because the father owned the land, he owned the estate, he owned everything. So only the father's family would be adorned with such riches. And yet he bestowed them on his wayward son who came back after he repented. And then the father called for a celebration for his youngest son. The father had the fatted calf killed and he threw a celebration to celebrate the return of the prodigal son. And if I ended the story right there, it's a great story. And it's just awesome of God's grace and God's mercy. But Jesus didn't end the story there, so neither are we. Let's go ahead and go to verse 25. Now the now his oldest son was in the field, and as he came and draw near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come because he has received him safe and sound, and your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Up to this point in the story, the oldest son is hardly mentioned. He's just mentioned as one of the two sons to the father. And up to verse 25, the oldest son looked like an obedient son, serving his father in the field. He was actually in the field when his bro brother came from wasting his inheritance on prodigal living. The oldest son never asked his father for anything, but did his father's will. 
At least he made it look that way on the outside. The oldest son came home at the end of the day in the field and he heard music and dancing. No one ran to the field and told the older brother that his brother was home, nor did they tell him that his brother had repented of his prodigal ways. He didn't know. Still no excuse. His brother's home. He should have been happy. He wasn't. The oldest son asked one of the servants what was going on. The servant explained to him that his prodigal brother was home and that his father threw a celebration to celebrate his return home. This angered the oldest son, and he did not go in, as he was jealous of his brother. And he allowed that jealousy, along with his own self-righteousness, to keep him from that celebration of his brother coming home. He also exhibited a holier-than spirit towards his brother, as by staying outside the house, he was shunning his brother for his prodigal ways. He was saying he was too good to be in the presence of that lowly sinner. How many of us do that to people today that don't look right or don't act right? We as believers in Christ need to be careful not to think too high of ourselves. And we, should, we can't think that we're better than anyone else because we're not. We're sinners. I'm a sinner. I'm not the chief of sinners like Paul was, but I'm a pretty bad sinner myself. I'll admit it. I'm not afraid to admit it to y'all. I'm a sinner. And I think every one of you will admit the same thing, that you're a sinner as well. If we cannot find it in our hearts to receive those who God calls his children and accept them into fellowship with us, then we are walking down the same path as the oldest son. Because we, can't, we will let jealousy, envy, pride, selfishness, keep us from welcoming someone else into the kingdom of heaven. And God doesn't like that. God doesn't want us to bar anyone from the kingdom of heaven. He wants us to accept everyone just as they are, just as he accepted us just as we were when we first came to Christ. This path was also the path the Pharisees walked in Jesus' day as they thought they were holier than anyone else for observing their traditions, taking the high seats in the synagogues, synagogue and looking the part of a believer. But on the inside, they were dry, rotten bones. And I hate to say this, there's a lot of Christians that are just like the Pharisees today. And I know myself included, if I'm not careful and I don't watch myself, I can be just like that without God's grace and his mercy and him reminding me of who I am in Christ. I can start to think I'm better than somebody else, and then it can cause envy, it cause strife, and it cause division. All because we start to think we're better than someone else. We're not better than anyone else. And if we think that way, may we repent of that tonight. The father saw his oldest son outside, that he did not want to participate in a celebration for the youngest son. So he went out to talk to him like God the Father would come talk to us. Normally, God the Father will send somebody else to talk to us if, if we're doing that. The Father pleaded with his son to know why he did not want to come and join in the rejoicing of the return of his younger brother. The oldest son explained why he was upset 
angry and envious of his youngest brother. The oldest son was envious of the attention being shown to the youngest son. The oldest son stated his case to his father as why he would not enter the house and join the celebration. And he gave four points, four reasons why that I'm better than my brother. Four points as to why I'm not going in. Point number one, these many years I have been serving you. The oldest son was making the case that he was better than his brother because he had been faithful to his father while his brother was unfaithful in that time period. And most people can believe it was six months, a year, or more. It was a quite a span of time that the younger brother was living as a prodigal. The oldest son was saying that he earned this right to be self-righteous and holier than thou due to the fact that he had been doing his father's will for years. Yes, he had been doing his father's will on the outside for years, but on the inside, far from the truth. Because on the inside, he'd been building that case against his brother from the day he left. The oldest son's heart was saying, due to having put more time in serving with his father, he was above his brother in his father's pecking order as well. And he was entitled to be treated better than his sinful brother. This is also foolish thinking, as it does not matter how long we spend doing God's will, but what matters is our heart behind serving God. Someone could be a believer for a few months, but have a spiritual depth greater than someone who's been serving for 20 or more years due to the heart they have for God. Being a Christian is not about looking better than anyone else. It is about serving God with all of our hearts, all of our minds, and all we have with no holding back. When we hold back and serve in Christ wholeheartedly, God cannot use us in the way he wants to use us. We then will see someone else rising up and doing the work that we thought we were supposed to be doing for God, and it can cause jealousy, envy, and strife in our hearts. This then causes us to get that older son attitude towards the person God is using. It takes our focus off the Father's true will for us. I've seen this many times. I've actually done this many times in my heart, I'm ashamed to admit. I'm no better than anyone else. I've done it myself. And I pray that God has forgiven me for those times that I, that I know of. And I pray as I press forward myself, as I grow closer to the Lord, if I start to have those feelings, I pray God will shut them down on me quickly. And I pray the same thing for each and every one of you out there tonight, that if that is your heart, in your heart tonight, if you do have any jealousy, envy, or strife, I pray before you leave tonight that you give it to God and leave it with God. For me, it caused me to cons be consumed with finding faults in others instead of focusing on growing closer to God. For me, it took prayer and God's forgiveness to overcome the jealousy I had towards those people that in, in my life. My prayer, again, is that if anyone has that in their hearts now, that they would repent of it and that God would remove it, because God will remove it as we seek him. He will remove the jealousy and the envy from our hearts and... I pray we don't become like the oldest son because the oldest son has three more points as to why he was righteous, more righteous than his brother. 
His second point, I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, indicating that I, the oldest son, am better than my prodigal brother as he transgressed you many times. First, he wished you dead by asking for his inheritance early. Plain and simple, he wanted his money. He wanted you dead so he could go live it up. He could go squander what you'd given him. And then he did foolishly squander it on sinful living. The attitude shows that he thought he was better than his brother because he boasted that I never transgressed against your commandment. Just because the oldest son did not commit outward sin did not mean he was perfect. As in his mind, he thought he was better compared to his brother. Again, how many times do we think we're doing good as Christians instead of looking at our own sins? We go fault finding, look for sin in others and then say we're better than so-and-so. I'm better than Johnny because Johnny was caught killing someone last night. Well, I've never shot at anybody, so I'm better than Johnny. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way at all in God's eyes because in my mind, I could be committing sin that nobody knows about and be more guilty than Johnny because Johnny's publicly confessed and repented of his killing the person. I pray that we would not compare our walk with somebody else's. The better part of our walk or the worst part of our work. I pray that we would focus on our own walk with Christ. Jesus actually gives an example of this in John 21, verses 20 through 22. He gives this to Peter. When Peter asked about someone else's life, Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple who Jesus loved following, who had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus made it clear that we should not compare ourselves to another in their walk. And Jesus said, if, he, if I will, he remain till I come. What is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. Don't worry about someone else's walk. Don't worry about what they're doing for the kingdom. Focus on your walk with God, with your work in the kingdom. Because God has an amazing work for each and every one of you as you press forward to the, towards the Lord. But with these things that the oldest son had in his heart, God could not use him where he was because he was too consumed on himself and his jealousy and envy towards his younger brother. God couldn't use him. And the third point the oldest son gave to his father, you never gave me a young goat that I might make marry my friends. The oldest son was complaining to his father that he was not generous to him with his possessions. He was saying, you did not give me anything for all my, all my years of service. You didn't even give me a young goat. You didn't give me one single bonus. I've served, I've slaved, I've toiled, I've, I, 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 I. Again, his focus was on him, not, not God, not the repentant brother. His focus was on himself because he says, yet when my brother shows up from living like a prodigal, you give him a huge bonus, the fatted calf and a celebration. 
instead of wanting to spend time in fellowship with his family, for, with his lost brother that was found, his heart, he's like, you never gave me anything to go celebrate with my friends. Instead of fellowshipping and worshiping and praising God for his brother to come back, he was mad because he couldn't get a goat for, to go have a f- small celebration with his friends, to go make merry with his friends. There's nothing wrong with spending time with friends and having friends, but it's so much better to spend and celebrate with the family of Christ. And the oldest son didn't see that. He thought making merry with his friends, having fun with his friends, getting a small goat that he felt he was entitled to was more important to bring up at this time instead of going in and celebrating that his brother was on his path to hell and redeemed by God's grace and his mercy alone. And he came with a repentant heart and asked for forgiveness. But all he could see was himself. And the final point he made, but as soon as this son of yours came, who had devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Did you notice that? Did you notice what he said? He said the, old, the oldest son said that your son, the son of yours came. He did not even recognize his brother as his brother anymore. He did not even call him his brother. He said, the son of yours. Don't we say that to someone when we're mad at him, especially family members, that we use a different link to the family than what they are? He thought himself so much higher than his brother in his mind that he is his father's son, no longer his brother. The oldest son then reminded his father of his brother's worst sins when he said he devoured your livelihood with harlots. Again, he picked, found the worst sin his brother did and threw it in his face. But don't we do the same thing? Don't we do the same thing with a brother or sister that we're upset with, that we're mad with, that crosses our will? Don't we like to find their worst attribute, their worst past sin, and one, compare ourselves to them? We're not as bad as Johnny again because we didn't kill anybody or have the faults that this person had. I am glad Christ takes our sins and forgets them when we confess them to him. It's too bad man does not have that same heart towards one another. Instead of forgiving those who transgress us, we build that book of how each and every person wronged us, when, how, what did it cost me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We then file that book in our mind, our prayer journal, on the internet, anywhere else we might want to write it down, and that when this person asks for forgiveness, help, or anything in general, we dust off that book of infractions against us and then use it to remind ourselves why we don't want to be Christ-like towards that person. Again, we're being like the oldest son. Instead of embracing the person like Christ embraced a repentant sinner, we have a cynical eye towards them, thinking the worst about them. Instead of thinking the best, we wait for them to fail, and then we like to rub their nose in their failure. Am I right, or am I right? How unchristlike can we be towards one another? That's not what God wants for us. He wants us to be Christ-like. He wants us to forgive. He wants... 
When someone comes to us and says, hey, brother, I've, I've sinned against you. Can you please forgive me? Let us have the heart of Christ say, yes, I forgive you as Christ is forgiving you. And let us not hold it against the person no more. Let us not build the book like the old brother built against his brother to the point where he doesn't even recognize his own brother as his brother. The oldest son also begrudged kindness towards him. His father dressed his brother in fine clothes, killed the fatted calf, and rejoiced in his homecoming. This is a picture of God's grace and mercy. And the celebration in the story is similar, similar to the celebration we read about a little bit ago when a sinner repents and comes to Christ. But we're not finished yet. The father has a say now in verse 31. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, speaking to the oldest son, and all I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. The father in verse 31 shares his response to his older boy in regards to his complaints and his anger towards his brother. Notice the father did not tell the servants to lock the door and keep the oldest son out because of his jealousy and his envy. Nor did the father say, this is my fatted calf. Who are you to tell me what I do with my stuff? The father doesn't have that heart. The father walked out of the house. He walked to his son, his oldest son, right where he was. And he talked to him just like he went to his youngest son when he returned his li from his life of prodigal living. The father did not send anyone else to talk to his son. He went and talked to him face to face. The father, again, is a picture of God coming to meet us where we are, no matter of our past sins, whether they are outwardly seen or inside us. The father then says to his oldest son, Son, you are always with me, and all I have is yours. The father reminded the oldest son that everything was both of theirs, not just the father's. He also acknowledged that the oldest son had been by his side and faithful. In verse 32, the father says, It was right we should make Mary and glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. It is a good thing to celebrate the return of your brother. Do not envy the return of your brother. He was dead in his sin. In his prodigal living, when he was living it up like the world, he was dead. He was on his path to hell. But he repented. He has been found again. Believers, it is right to rejoice in the fact that a sinner repents and turns their life to God. Let us rejoice with the person let us rejoice with the family. Let us rejoice. Let us not be the ones to steal the joy of the Lord from them, nor be envious of the grace of God that's been shown to them. Because at one point, that was us. That was us down there getting that same grace from God, saying, you were in sin. You were on your path to hell. But I came down. I brought you to your knees. And I brought you to me. Don't steal anyone else's joy.
Remember that if we place our trust in Jesus Christ, all he has is ours as well, just like the father and the oldest son here. Many times when people read this section of scripture, they see themselves as the prodigal son. It's very easy to. I actually had a page written out of how I was a prodigal at one time, but as I started sharing tonight, I just didn't feel led to share it. But we all, most of us here, could share how we were a prodigal, and we could probably go into hours upon hours of all the prodigal living we lived. Not so easy to see ourselves as the oldest son, is it? It's hard for us to relate to the oldest son because we gloss over that part of the story. We don't want to see the, the, the strife. We don't want to see the envy. We don't want to see the jealousy in our heart. We just want to focus on God saving us, the prodigal coming to God. May we apply the lesson that the oldest son teaches us and apply them to our lives. May we not act like the oldest son and miss out on our blessings from God due to the fact we may be judging others, due to the fact we might be envious of others, due to the fact that we might hold this grudge against another brother or sister in Christ because we don't see them the way God sees them. May we take our books of wrongs that we may have. May we take them, lay them down at the altar tonight. May we let them be destroyed by God, and may they never be recreated again. Let us pray. Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, for each and every person here. I pray, Lord, that you search our hearts, Lord, mine included, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would meet with each and every one of us where we're at in our walk with you, Lord. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would forgive each and every one of us of our sins that we've committed against you, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, if there's any prodigals here tonight, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would come into a real relationship with you. I pray, Lord, for anyone that may have the attitude of the older brother, that they may think they're better than others, or that they sin less than others. I pray, Lord, you'd forgive them as well and help them to seek forgiveness from you. I pray, Lord, that you would forgive me, Lord, for the, those attributes in my life as well, Lord, for being a prodigal and for being the oldest son, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would all have your heart, Lord, towards others, and I pray, Lord, that you help us to show your heart towards one another and be willing to serve each other, each and each other instead of our own selfish desires, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to share tonight, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you bless our fellowship tonight, afterwards, after the service, after the song. And I pray, Lord, for your will to be done in our lives. In your precious name, I pray for all this, Lord Jesus. Amen.